just a warning. I just finished recording and it's it was almost impossible to edit, especially with my crazy fat fingers. So uh, you'll hear a lot of shittiness in this episode, but it's also fun and educational. So enjoy. Hello. I'm not back in my studio, but I found a way to make this work. I finally finished my notes and I will be recording from my phone. Let's see how that goes. I am finally back at my house slash studio. It's not as smelly, so I lit some candles, some flavored candles, and I'm hoping that'll help it out. I am still recording on my phone because I'm exhausted and I'm curious to see what the quality's like. And today I'm going to be talking about, originally it was about a house, but it all ends up being tied to Sharon Tate. So let's go. In the early 1930s, Paul Byrne, an MGM producer, owned a house in Beverly Hills on 9860 Easton Drive and had his new bride, famed actress, Jean Harlow, move in with him. It was an odd match to begin with. Harlow, the magnetic platinum blonde, Hollywood sex symbol who never dated fellow actors, shocked the Hollywood community when she began romantically involved when she became romantically involved with Byrne, the homely, intellectually brooding little man and 22 years her senior. In several accounts of their courtship, it is stated that Harlow pursued Byrne and not the other way around. If you don't know about Jean Harlow, um, Howard Hughes helped her uh, shoot to fame in Hollywood in the 30s, and he hired her to be the star of Hell's Angels that was uh, being converted to a talking picture. And Harlow became basically the original blonde bombshell. Well, moving on. One day while Ben, <laughs> one day while Byrne was alone at the house and Jean had stayed overnight at her mother's, Byrne was found dead by the butler. He was found nude and lying on the floor from a bullet wound and he had bled all over Jean's white bedroom. His body was drenched in Harlow's favorite perfume. After discovering the body, the butler actually called MGM before the police. So the studio execs arrived first to the scene. A suicide note was later found in the bedroom. Later, one of the employees, Davis the gardener, stated it was not Burns's handwriting. Burns' secretary, Mrs. Harrison, said she felt it was a murder. There was also a female bathing suit and two wine glasses left with a blood spot at the edge of the swimming pool. So it appeared Byrne had entertained someone at the home after he had sent Jean to stay with her mother. Several accounts state Harlow supposedly tried to commit suicide after she heard the news. Quickly, rumors spread that Byrne had not committed suicide but had actually been murdered by his unstable ex-girlfriend, Dorothy Millett, who, who he still supported financially, and she committed suicide right after his death. 
And then after Burns' death, Harlow moved out and died just five years after in 1937 at the age of 26 from Yermic from poisoning. Rumors after stated that Byrne had beaten her and injured her kidney, causing it to fail five years later. In the years that followed, two other people committed suicide. In the years that followed, two other people committed suicide in the Easton Drive home, and one person drowned in the pool. In 1963, the ill-fated house on Easton Drive was purchased by a young celebrity hairstylist, Jay Sebring. He met and fell in love with it with a young 20-year-old actress, Sharon Tate. The attraction was immediate, and the two dated for several years until Sharon broke up with Jay in 1966 and started dating her future husband, Roman Polanski. Even after Jay and, Sh- Even after Jay and Sharon parted ways as a couple, they continued to see each other as close friends. Some accounts even claimed they were planning on getting back together at the at the time of their some accounts even claimed that they were planning on getting back together at the time of their deaths in August 1969. Sharon spent a lot of time at Jay's house while they were dating. She even lived there with him for a short time. Jay entered quite a bit. Jay entertained quite a bit at his house with its large pool and private grounds. There's actually a surviving home video shot at the pool deck at one such party where Sharon and Jay were still dating. In 1966, Sharon was spending the night alone at Jay's house, sleeping in his master bedroom. Overwhelmed overwhelmed with an uneasy feeling of a strong unseen presence, she jumped at every noise as she lay on the bed with the lights on. Suddenly, an apparition of a creepy little man scuttled into the bedroom. Sharon recognized the ghost to be of Paul Byrne, who actually just totally ignored her, and so intent in his mission to find some unknown thing. Sharon quickly threw on her robe. Sharon quickly threw on her robe and left the room in a hurry, only to find a more frightening scene at the staircase leading down to the first floor. About halfway down the staircase, she saw a ghostly form was tied to the post with its throat cut. Racing past this ghastly scene, she hurried into the living room trying to find where Jay kept his liquor as she was feeling the need for a drink. When she couldn't find anything, she suddenly got a strong urge to push on one of the suit. She, when she couldn't find anything, she suddenly got the strong urge to push on one of the bookcases, which revealed the sought after bar. Shaking with fright by this time, she poured herself a drink to steady her nerves. She suddenly got another urge to tear away the wallpaper along the base of the bar, revealing a solid copper base. She then walked back up the stairs past the gas past the ghastly apparition on the stairs, past the creepy little man who is now pacing the hallway, and back to her bed where she crashed. The next morning she thought she had a terrible dream but realized it had all had happened when she saw the copper-based bar and the wallpaper she had removed. Some entity, perhaps Harlow, perhaps one of the people that drowned in the pool, 
was either trying to warn Sharon or that the sighting was a premonition, a warning of what was to come. A warning of what was to come, because when the because when the murdered Sebring was found, he was tied to a he was tied to a stair rail. In 1969, after she married Roman and was almost nine months pregnant, she, Jay, and some friends went to El Coyote, a Mexican restaurant. After they returned to the Polanski residence on Zillow Drive, Patricia Krenwinkle, Susan Atkins, and Charles Tex Watson entered the home. After course, after court, after coercing the four occupants of the house into the living room, they ordered them to lie face down on the floor. Sebring protested and asked the intruders to consider Tate's advantage. Sebring protested and asked his intruders to consider Tate's advanced pregnancy. He was then shot by Watson, who kicked him several times in the face as he lay dying, breaking his nose and eye socket. He was then stabbed seven times and died from blood loss caused by his stab wounds. The group then murdered Frykowski, Folger, and Tate. After his murder, Jay Sebring's house was sold to a doctor and his family, and it is reportedly still owned by the same people today. Given all of the deaths and tragedy associated with the house on Easton Drive, many believe it is haunted both by the ghosts of Paul Byrne and Jay Sebring. David Oman believes in ghosts. More specifically, he believes the victims of the Manson fan- family of the Manson family are haunting his home. Almost 20 years ago, the Los Angeles private investigator bought a vacant lot in Benedict Canyon, California, just 45 meters from 10050 Silo Drive, and Oman was moving in next door. Oman hoped to build his dream home on the land and felt he had gotten a bargain when he only charged when he was only charged $40,000 for what for what appeared to be an idyllic for what appeared to be an idyllic idyllic for what appeared to be an idyllic plot in a prime location not far from Ritzy Be- Beverly Hills. He may have bu- oh my god he may have got a bargain, but he also got more than he bargained for. The haunting at Omen's property became immediate during construction. He says, with workers claiming they heard voices when no one was there, cold air would dance upon the back of their necks on warm days, heavy footsteps thudded across the floorboards and empty rooms, the building site just had a bad vibe. No doubt the fact that it was in the spitting, no doubt the fact that it was in spitting distance from the site of one of the most notorious and brutal mass murders in in America's history. With the house on 10050 Silo Drive, where the Manson family murders were committed, had been torn down long had been torn down long before Omen moved next door. The original property rented by director Roman Polanski and his wife Sharon in the year prior to her death was demolished in 1994 and a new home built in its place. Even the street address was changed from 10050 to 10066 Silo Drive in the hope of erasing of 
in hope of erasing the lot's brutal history. Omen moved to his nearby property eight eight years after that demolition in 2002. Things got weird as soon as he settled in. During his housewarming party, a number of unexplainable and very creepy things occurred. While he was putting out food for his shindig, Omen says he heard a loud, persistent knocking at his front door. It was too early for guests to arrive, but he went over and flung the door open anyway. No one was there. The entire street was dark and empty and not a single car in sight. Later that night, as 50 guests partied through the evening, later that night, as 50 guests partied through the evening, Omen's friend Lauren Rackle says she went to the kitchen to fetch more wine, as you do, and it was then and it was then she saw someone walk quickly by outside the kitchen window. There was one little problem. The edge of the hillside mansion sat 10 meters off the ground. It wasn't possible for anyone to walk by. It wasn't impossible. It wasn't possible for anyone to walk by unless they were 10 meters tall or could float. In that same kitchen, a wine glass would later be hurled into the wall, shattering when no one was in the room. And then it got worse. In 2004, Omen said he was awakened by a full body apparition at the bottom of his bed pointing toward the driveway, which leads to the murder site. The eerie figure made no sound, Omen said. He gestured three times and then just disappeared. Omen may have, Omen may have been able to write this experience off as a strange dream if he hadn't later seen a photo of Jay Sebring sharing That was scary. <laughs> uh, so if he hadn't later seen a photo of Jay Sebring, Sharon Tain's hairdresser, who'd also been killed that faithful night, the man he saw materialized at his bed at his bedside looked exactly like Jay. Omen's girlfriend Lisa Rigsby also claims she saw the ghostly male figure appearing at her bedside when she turned in early one night. She'd heard someone enter the room and turn over, expecting to see Omen. It wasn't him. As she reached for the bedside lamp, the male figure vanished. The odd occurrences just kept coming. Disembodied voices were heard speaking over the house's intercom system while Omen and two friends sat watching a film. He'd hear labored breathing and rock and raspy whispers coming from inside the empty bedroom. The movie projector would turn itself on in the middle of the night. Strange lights and figures appeared on photographs. A session with a psychic followed, and that's when things got really weird. During the psychic's visit, she claimed the apparition of a blonde woman walked She claimed the apparition of a blonde woman walked from one be- walked from one room to another. When Omen held a seance with friends later that night, they they say they heard what they described as the as the voice of a woman emitting the saddest, most horrible scream. Then there was silence. Omen began looking for answers. He invited yet more psychics to the house. One such paranormal investigator was said to have seen what she described as the spirit of a bleeding pregnant woman 
walking down the street towards Omen's house. The vision later the vision later caused her to faint. What had happened at Silo Drive was no secret, but Omen began to wonder if there was a connection between but Omen began to wonder if there was a connection between his home and the Manson murders. He even sought the help of the LAPD to inquire if perhaps a murder weapon or traces of DNA from the victims were left on the lot where his luxurious mansion now stood, but he came up empty-handed. There was no link. It didn't make sense to Omen if, in fact, he was seeing the spirits of the Manson family's victims. They had somehow moved next door to the site on which they died. That's not how ghosts works. That's not how ghosts work. Most believers will tell you and uh, it wasn't until later that a theory emerged. Omen wondered if the victims had called for help, desperately hoping they'd somehow be heard by people in the nearby homes if they attempted to escape to the street to raise the alarm. I began to think to myself, maybe they were trying to escape the house and run down the driveway and seek help from the neighbors, Omen said. Perhaps, Omen thought, these restless spirits were still reaching out from beyond imploring their neighbors for help. Omen continues to live at the home this, to this day, and he has opened it up to dozens of paranormal investigators and psychics, hoping for an answer. He even allows ghost tours through the property, but Omen's claims are not without controversy, and there are those who believe the detective and there are those who believe the detective could be unfairly profiting from tragedy with tall tales of spooks and hauntings. Over time, Omen says he has grown used to his ghostly companions, whoever they may be. I always feel like I wasn't alone here, but I'm not afraid, he told LA Weekly, and I do know life is more than just what we see. Besides, I'm way more scared of the living than the dead. So that's a story about the Manson murders and ghosts and what else? crime, all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff in this story. Um, originally, I guess it was just, I was writing about the Harlow house, which is where she lived before, um, before she moved in with Roman Polanski. And then all of this other stuff came up and gives a little more detail and, uh, going into ghostly stuff, which I was excited about because it's, um, getting towards Halloween. Yay! Anywho, that's what I have. Thanks for waiting for, I don't know, a few days while my house was getting, you know, uh, what is that? Getting rid of all the bees in my walls. So I got some nice smelly candles up and now I'm relaxing and I hope you enjoyed this episode. (laughs) And my mouth is really dry and it sucks, but, uh, Hopefully this episode is not as bad as it sounds to me. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye.